Turn to John chapter 12, please. 13, rather, John chapter 13. Thank you for that offertory, Krista. That was very good, very thoughtful. I don't know if you're paying attention to the words or not, uh, but that was, that was a powerful message in song, uh, reminding us of our dependence on the Lord. And even the song we just sang, how we can trust the Lord. It's just encouraging to my heart, so I just wanted to say thank you for that, being thoughtful. John chapter 13 is where we're going to be today, and we actually had started this message a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago before I left for the conference that I was preaching, and so we're going to get back into it today. Our text verses are from verses 18 down through verse 36. Um, Actually, I take that back all the way through verse 38, uh, the end of the chapter. But before we get to these verses again, and we'll read them all, the section before this, the previous verses, Jesus had just given a real life lesson uh, to his disciples, and that was the account of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And Jesus is about to go to the cross. Uh, Within the next 24 hours, Jesus is going to be crucified. Uh, He's going to give his life. He's going to be put in a tomb. And the rest of the book of John all deals with the things that Jesus is really trying to teach his disciples. And that it shows us the heart of Jesus towards his disciples, that as he's heading to the cross, his heart to prepare them for what is coming never wavers. Jesus is not thinking of himself in these moments, but he's trying to prepare his disciples for what uh, he would use them for. And he teaches them this lesson of humility, about humbly serving other people, even serving those who don't deserve it. And he does that by washing their feet, doing a job that that even the lowest of the low servants in Jewish society were not required to do. Jesus did something for his disciples that was reserved for Gentile servants to do. And Jesus takes it upon himself to to abase himself, the lowest of the low, and to serve. And the disciples were all waiting for somebody to do that for them, right? Instead of them being the ones to say, I'm going to wash your feet, Lord. And the the rest of the disciples, they were thinking of themselves in such a way that that I'm above that. Uh, That's beneath me. Somebody else is to do that. Jesus takes it on himself, the form of a servant, and teaches them this lesson of humility and humbly serving others. And Jesus said in verse 15, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. That's the whole point of the message that Jesus was teaching. And he said that you are to do the same. Now, in the middle of all of that, Jesus also reveals that not all of them are clean. In other words, not all of them who are there are are purified in their soul. Not all of them are saved people. Now, all of them are followers of Christ. They're all disciples. But Judas was not a saved man. And Jesus makes that very clear that not all of them are clean. And so he goes on to say that one of them is going to betray him. And in the middle of this... Jesus is going to teach them another lesson. And it's the lesson of real godly love. And so there's the lesson of humility and the lesson of serving even those who don't deserve it. And now Jesus is going to teach them another lesson. What real godly love actually looks like. And when we started this message, we said there were three things that we were going to look at. It was sort of going to be like an Oreo in its layout, you got the hard surface on the top and the bottom and the, the gooey sweet stuff in the middle. Well, that's kind of what this is. We, saw, we said we were going to look at betrayal, Judas's betrayal. We were going to look at Jesus' love. And then the last thing is we were going to look at Peter's denial. Well, we got through the first point, Judas's betrayal. And so today we're going to look at the other two, the love of Jesus and then the denial of Peter. Let's look at our text, beginning in verse 18. 
The Bible says, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he, when I, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, that Ju because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore... When he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. The title of the message is From Light into the Night. And we talked about Judas having or being in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. But the Bible says that after he betrayed Jesus, he went out and it was night. Judas chose for himself. And so that's the title of the message. The other two points or principles that we're going to draw out are in verses 31 to 35, that is the love of Jesus, and then verses 36 to 38, that's Peter's denial. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just help us today with your word and teach us through it. Lord, work in hearts according to your will, that you might be magnified, that you might be glorified. And we give ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk about Judas's betrayal again, just briefly to remind you of the things that we had talked about. In verses 18 and 19, the Bible said, Jesus says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And then in verse 19, Jesus says, Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am He. So Jesus is foretelling or prophesying of Judas' betrayal here. When He says in verse 18, that the Scripture may be fulfilled, He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. He's referring to Psalm 41 and verse 9 that says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. In Psalm 41, it was a prophecy concerning Judas's betrayal of Jesus. And so Jesus says, this is so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, we talk about betrayal, we talk about treachery, but you know what, there's no treachery that is worse 
than betrayal by a family member or a, 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 a bosom friend. It's the worst kind because you have given yourself to them only to find betrayal. Jesus had to be betrayed. It was prophesied of concerning Christ in the scriptures. But here's the, here is the truth, friend. Judas did not have to be the one to betray Jesus. Some say that Judas's sin was foreordained, that God was the one who ordained it. I don't believe that that's true. The scriptures prophecy the scriptures prophesy of it, and it certainly had to happen, and, and the scriptures prophesy it according to God's foreknowledge, but Judas didn't have to be the one. And I believe that because what we see is that Jesus loved Judas all the way to the end. He gave Judas every opportunity to change. That's why we know. It wasn't foreordained that Judas was the one, and he was consigned to the lake of fire. No, Jesus loved Judas to the end. Now, verse 30 says, He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. We connect that over to chapter 12 and verse 35, where Jesus says, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. And we connect it over there because Jesus is the light of the world. And here again is an opportunity while you have the light, Walk in it, uh, receive it, lest darkness come upon you. And, and the, the principle or the point that we made in this situation was the very presence of Jesus Christ himself for three years in Judas's life did nothing to change Judas. He had sealed his own soul and his own fate because of his hard heart. And like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, unbending and unchanging at the opportunity that God was giving, Judas's heart remained hard. And so he ventures out into the cold, dark night of betrayal, far from the light that loved him, that offered him opportunity and chance. And the principle or the application is, friend, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you don't know Jesus Christ, friend, you have an opportunity to receive light. Don't walk out into darkness. God is giving you a chance to be saved. Listen, heed the call of the Lord. Submit yourself, humble your heart. Walk while you have light, Jesus says, lest darkness come upon you. While you have the chance, believe in the light. That's Jesus Christ. Go to verse 27. Verse 27 says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him of chapter 13. Then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Although Satan empowered Judas to carry out this betrayal, Judas was responsible for his own doing. After Satan entered into Judas, Jesus ratifies Judas' choice when he said, what you're going to do, do it fast, do it quickly. Judas, his betrayal was on him. The betrayal of Judas should give us a deeper understanding of the depth of human sin and the deceit of the human heart. In spite of Jesus' love for him, the opportunity that he had, Judas's heart still remained unchanged. And we need to learn the lesson here, <coughs> excuse me, to help us understand the depth of our own sinful heart, but also to see the love of Jesus Christ for someone who is so undeserving, so a sinful person, so undeserving, from which, friend, we cannot separate ourselves. We are equally undeserving of the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Judas shows us the awful nature of sin. 
Before we start throwing stones at Judas and saying, how could Judas do such a thing? We need to realize this, that apart from the grace of God, we are all just exactly like he was. We all have the seeds of betrayal in our heart before God graciously comes and rescues us. Think of what Judas had witnessed in his three years of close association with the Lord. He had heard Jesus' teaching. He had seen both public and private all of the, the compassion of the heart of Jesus Christ in his teaching. He had witnessed most of Jesus' miracles for people who were so helpless. He had seen the grace and the love of Jesus Christ towards the ungrateful, towards the unloving. He had never seen any hint of sin in Jesus Christ, whether in public or in private. And yet he betrayed the Lord to the Jewish leaders for some lousy pieces of silver. That ought to teach us something about the depth of depravity for the, in the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's your heart. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart lies to you. Your heart is desperately wicked. And then it says, who can know it? In other words, you can't even understand the depth of, of, uh, that your heart will go to. No one fully grasps the depravity of the human heart except for God, which makes God's love even more amazing. The fallen, sinful human heart is first and foremost devious and deceitful. It's untrustworthy. It's the place that, where lies begin. It is intrinsically dishonest. There is no human cure for our problem, our condition. Only God understands how wicked we truly are and how deserving of judgment we are. And again, it highlights the amazing love of God toward us. Judas was driven by a deceitful, wicked heart. He was a thief. This makes it even more amazing in what Jesus did and how he loved him to the end. That was the betrayal of Judas. I want you to look, second of all, at Jesus' love. In verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Now, if we back up just a little bit, the Bible says in verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, referring to Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. The traitor is gone. He's gone out. What a relief. The traitor is gone. Jesus shifts his attention now. He shifts his attention to his disciples, and he, he tries to make a statement to them, and he says to them, I want to talk to you about love, and I want to talk to you about God being glorified. In verse 31, in verse 32, rather, Jesus says, if, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. And we're not going to take a lot of time to dissect all of that, only to say this, though. The glory that Jesus is talking about, the glory of his Father, the, the purpose that Jesus Christ came into this world was, yes, to save sinners, but the purpose was to bring honor and glory to his Father. And so what we find here is that Jesus gets back to the main purpose of his life and ministry. The supreme end of all that Christ came to do and to be was to give glory to God the Father. And then he looks and shifts to his disciples and he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. And so I'm going to go, 
and you can't follow me now, but I want to give you one more thing. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then he says in verse 35, this is how people are going to know that you're followers of me if you have love one for another. Here truly is the heart of the whole passage. Here is the heart of what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. It is God's love that was shown to them and and demonstrated to them, and now they need to in turn uh, demonstrate God's love to other people. Four times in two verses, Jesus says, it's love. Now, not only is he just saying this and teaching this, he had just lived it. He had just exemplified it with Judas. Jesus loved Judas to the end. We saw that Jesus washed Judas' feet. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and yet Jesus still humbled himself and put on the apron of a servant and knelt down and washed this man's feet, knowing full well exactly what he was about to do. He gave Judas the opportunity to repent right up until the end. You remember? Look at back in verse 26. Verse 26 says, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. That's how you know who the betrayer is. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now you might read over those verses and say, okay, that's what happened. But there's a lot more going on here than just what we read on the surface. The fact that Judas was right next to Jesus, probably on his left side... Uh, was, was very significant because in that culture, that was a place of honor. That was a place that, that the father of the household, and especially during the Passover meal, the father of the household would offer the guests pieces of bread that were dipped in fruit, and it re- represented the promised land that was to come and so on. But, but in reality, what it was was a sign of special attention. It was a place of honor, a seat of honor. And maybe Jesus said to Judas that night, said, Judas, why don't you come sit here next to me in this place of honor? I want you to be near me. Having that seat alone would have been one last gesture of love from Jesus toward Judas, an opportunity for him to be next to the Lord, an opportunity for Jesus to talk to him, an opportunity for Jesus to, for Judas to change his mind, to repent. What sorrow must have constantly weighed on our Savior's heart in knowing that all of his love and all of his care and all of his attempts to rescue Judas were resisted. And yet he humbles himself to serve this man. He gives him a place of honor next to him to try to rescue him. What I'm simply saying is, Jesus wasn't just saying words to his disciples. As I have loved you, Love and love others as well. I'm giving you a commandment that you love one another. No, Jesus just demonstrated it. And all that he did in interacting with Judas. What are the characteristics of love? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call that the love chapter. Go over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Jesus says, this commandment I'm giving you, that you have love one for another. And this is how people know that you're followers of me, if you have love one for another. Well, what does that look like? What are the characteristics of love? The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. You know what? Uh, 
A preacher can get up and he can say all that he has to say and he can show all that he knows to people and he could wow people with his knowledge of the scriptures and so on. But you know what? People don't care. People don't care even one lick if, if it's not done in love. If there's not something more than that that goes beyond, that, that established relationships with people that shows there's definitely really a heart of love here. It, it doesn't matter. Paul says you can have all the knowledge of you, that you want, but if you don't have love, it's just a bunch of noise to people. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. You can, have, you can accomplish all kinds of stuff in the ministry, but if you don't have love for people, it's worthless. It's nothing. He goes on to say, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And here's what love looks like. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity It's very convicting just now. It's really convicting. Charity vaunteth not itself. is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The thing that endures, though, is love. Real love here doesn't fail. It doesn't fail when it has to bear all things, when it has to bear reproach, when it has to bear unloving, unkind people. It doesn't fail. It doesn't fail when it has to believe all things, when it seems hopeless. It hopeth all things, meaning... There's always hope for the restoration of the one who hates you. According to the word of God, love doesn't give up. Love cares more for others than it does for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut around. Love doesn't have a swelled head, a puffed up head. Love doesn't force itself Onto others. Love isn't always me first attitude. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Did you know that? Love doesn't keep score. But people walk around all the time with judgmental spirits and attitudes. Oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember you said this. Oh, I remember that person did this. Oh, yeah, and they always bring up the past of things from other people. Love doesn't do that. Jesus could have easily said, Judas, I, I know what you're going to do. I know what's going to happen. Judas, you're a, you're a thief. You're a betrayer. And I've got this opinion about you now, Judas. Love doesn't bring up the sins of the past. It doesn't keep score and keep track, a ledger. Oh, you remember that time when you failed? Remember that time when you said this? It's not what love does. Love isn't always looking and nitpicking to find things to find fault with. Love doesn't do that. 
In fact, love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't revel when other people fall. Love doesn't take pleasure in iniquity, but love rejoices in truth. Love puts up with anything. Love puts up with everything. Love trusts God. Love is always looking for the best, God's best for other people. And love never dies. Jesus loved Judas to the end. What makes Christian love so unique? What makes it unique is the power behind it. What makes it unique is where it comes from. That certainly does not come from within in this wicked, deceitful heart. That's not where it's generated. Where it comes from is God Himself, because God is love. And Romans 5.5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That's where it comes from. That's what makes it unique. And the mark of, Chris, of, a, of a true Christian is love which he has and exercises towards other people. Other people who are so undeserving. Wow. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. It's not a made-up, imaginary, this is my idea of love. No, it's God's love that is shed abroad in my heart, that is given to me through the Holy Ghost, that is extended to other people, the kind that is miraculous. Love is not centered upon itself. It's not centered upon one's own interests but rather upon the welfare of others. Man, we don't need, listen, listen, we don't need, we don't need any more attention on ourselves. But often, listen, selfish motives are the very thing that are behind why we do what we do or think what we think or say what we say. I want to see anybody else advance in some way. And here's all the reasons why. What's behind all that? It's selfishness in the heart. It's selfish motives. Love doesn't do that. It's not centered upon its own interest. But the interest is on the welfare, God's best, for someone else. It's the love that Jesus extended to Judas and what God extends to us when we are so undeserving. It's that love that we are to extend to others. That's the lesson Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. It's a command that you love one another. Not with your own idea of what that should look like. But what I've just demonstrated to you, that kind that's a pretty powerful truth. Lord, help me, because I cannot generate that in my own heart. When people hurt you, when people betray you, when people say all manner of evil against you falsely, when people uh, rip your heart out, when people stab you in the back, when people betray you, uh, Jesus says it's this kind of love. This is the kind that you need to demonstrate to other people. And how do we do that? How can I do that? Only through the Spirit of God. That enables and grace. Do you have that kind of love? It's a command. It's a commandment I give you. Amen? Lord, help us to not be so self-centered, selfish, in our thinking, but love like Christ loves. Then you look down in verse 36. 
And we see Peter's denial is predicted. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. Just like Jesus was predicting Judas's betrayal, Jesus is predicting Peter's denial. And as soon as I get back there, John 13 and verse 36. Excuse me, pardon me. The Bible says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered, Whither I go, thou cannot, canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. This is really uh, a picture of Peter's personality coming out here again. He was the impetuous type. He was the type that would make these grand and bold statements. And in his heart, I think Peter truly believed that what he was saying was real, like he would really do that. But Peter was very ignorant about the fact that he had no power to actually fulfill what he's trying to say. And he didn't have a good understanding of the depravity of his own heart, and he didn't have a good understanding of the fact that he was not as strong as he thought he was. In verse 37, he says, I'll lay down my life for you. Remember other times when Peter took the Lord and he shook him and said, be it far from thee, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. Remember that? Peter telling the Lord, no, Lord, you're wrong. It's going to be a different way. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. And he's telling him, Peter, you don't understand that you're actually being used of the devil right now. And that's kind of the nature of who Peter was. And he says in verse 37, why can't I follow you, Lord? I'll lay down my life for thy sake. And it just reminds us of this thought. We actually don't know ourselves like we think we do. Peter didn't know himself. He thought he was so confident in this thing, but he didn't know what he was about to do. And in his heart and in his mind, there's no chance that that's happening. But when, the, when it came right down to it, Peter failed, right? Peter relied upon his strong resolve to keep him faithful to the Lord. And I wonder how many times we do the very same thing. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I'm going to be faithful to you, Lord. Oh, I'm not, I, I've got the strength. Uh, I, I'm not going to fail you, Lord. I'm not going to do this and so on. It was the holiness movement that the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield joined, that they formed this creed that said, we will read, and we will study, and we will memorize Scripture faithfully. We will not fall into temptation. We will do this, and we will do that. You see it in a lot of church covenants. You see it in a lot of, uh, of, of Baptist church covenants. These things that we will not do, and these are things that we will do, and so on. And it's almost like we have committed ourselves uh, to absolute holiness and faithfulness to the Lord. But the Bible tells us we shouldn't boast in self-confidence of what we're going to do or what we're not going to do. But we ought to seek our strength from the living Lord. Lord, my, I don't want to do these things, and I want to do those things. But Lord, I need you and your strength to enable me to do that or not do that. Listen, there's a fine line between a commitment to holiness and pure self-confidence. And Peter slid down this dark ravine into the shadows of self-confidence. That was part of Peter's problem. He was overly confident in himself. And he didn't even know 
where he was heading. But he was about to feel and about to understand how weak his flesh really was. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 26 and verse 41, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You don't have the resolve in yourself. Watch and pray. You want to, the spirit is willing, but you don't have the strength in your flesh. You need something more than that. And in verse 37, he says, I'm going to lay down my life for your sake. Well, that was actually a true statement. Not yet, but eventually he would. But there was definitely more that he needed to learn and needed to know. Go to John chapter 21, because ultimately Peter would lay down his life for the Lord's sake. In John 21, in verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Jesus was telling Peter the kind of death that he was going to die. And history tells us probably Peter was actually crucified upside down on a cross. That's what we read. Is it true? Well, history says it. I don't know. But Jesus said, this is how you're going to die, Peter. Well, you look over in Second Peter chapter 1. You don't have to turn there right now. But Peter said in his epistle in Second Peter 1 and verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle. He's going to die. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. The difference between Judas and Peter is, is this, even though Peter denied the Lord or was going to, Peter eventually sought forgiveness from the Lord, but Judas did not. What accounts for Peter's denial of the Lord? What would account for such great defection from such a dedicated disciple who says, I'll do anything for you, Lord. I'll die for you, Lord. What accounts for such defection from someone who seems so devoted to Jesus Christ? Well, look in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. You know what accounts for defection? You know what accounts for betrayal? The fact that, 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 uh, that, that Satan wants to thresh you and thresh your faith and beat you to the ground until that husk breaks open and, and be able to show the whole world what's really there in your heart, Peter. He wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you. And let me say this to you, friend. The devil is trying to do the very same thing with you and with me. That's why 1 Peter, isn't it ironic? It's not ironic, but I think it's noteworthy that Peter is the one who says in verse chapter 5 and verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, 
as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Isn't it noteworthy that Jesus said, Simon, Satan wants you. He wants to sift you as wheat. And Peter's the very one who says, hey, everybody, you need to pay attention. You need to be on guard. You need to be sober. You need to be on uh, vigilant because the devil is, is trying to destroy you. And then he says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And then you get to verse 10 of 1 Peter 5. And here's a completely different guy. The guy who says, I'll die for you, Lord, in his self-confidence, is the very same guy who says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, but the God of all grace, divine enabling, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. What was going on here? There were some lessons that Jesus wanted to teach Peter. Peter was so self-confident. I'll do this. Lord, I'm going to stand for you. I'll die for you. Jesus is Peter. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, when your mind is turned around, when your thinking is straightened out, when you get converted, not saved, but when you get turned around in your thinking, then you're going to be able to strengthen the brethren. Peter lives some life. And at the end, he says in 1 Peter 5, Hey, everybody, the devil wants to destroy you. He's trying to devour you. You need to resist him steadfast in the faith. And here's how you do it. Not in your own strength, but in the grace of God. Wow, I, I, would, I was expecting everybody to just like stand up and say, Woo! Hallelujah right there. I got nothing. <laughs> Crickets. That is amazing. What a different guy. What a different guy. You see that? He says, no, the strength comes from the grace of God, the divine enabling of God. And you, after you've suffered a little while, you know what's going to happen for you? Same thing has happened for me. Is that He's going to strengthen you. He's going to make you complete, perfect. He's going to establish you. He's going to settle you. Totally different guy than the impetuous Peter. Remember, it was Satan, not Jesus, who did the sifting. Jesus was the friend who was praying. This is predicting the tragic account of Simon Peter's fall, for sure. But in Peter's story, we can still find a message of hope and a message of encouragement. Peter failed God. Yes, he did. He failed God in a big way. We all know that. We can see that. But even though Peter failed God in a big way, Peter was forgiven. He was restored by the Lord. And Peter eventually was really used of God to bring great glory to his own, to his name. And so while Peter's story does deal with his sin and with his denial, it still also showcases the grace and the forgiveness of Almighty God. Amen. Amen. Peter's story is important, and it's important to us. Because we all find ourselves in the place of failure from time to time. And when we do, all hope is not lost. It's a comfort to know that our Heavenly Father is a God of boundless love, a God of endless love, a God of unending mercy, a God of absolute forgiveness for the humble heart. Just the fact that we've failed the Lord and we have sinned against Him doesn't mean that we are doomed to end our life in that condition. Amen? Praise the Lord. The difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter came back to the Lord and asked for forgiveness, and the Lord restored him. That's the difference. 
And that is the exact same remedy for you and for me. Come to the Lord with a humble heart. Say, Lord, forgive me for all those quiet or secret ways known only to you that I've did times that I've denied you. Forgive me for those. Lord, forgive me for each time this week, last week, that I didn't have love for a brother or a sister or a neighbor or a co-worker. Forgive me for the time that I was so self-centered in my thinking. Forgive me for every time that I'm more concerned about myself than I am about serving other people. Or the times that I had an opportunity to show love and I didn't. Lord, forgive me for those. Guess what? The humble heart is the heart that the Lord will not despise. But then, say thank you to the Lord. Thank you for the times that you have prayed for me, that my faith doesn't fail. Thank you for every time that you've rescued me from Satan's siftings when I didn't even know it. Thank you for being a faithful father no matter how terribly I have failed you. And help me in turn to demonstrate that to other people. Amen? The love of Jesus. God is love. The denial of Peter. Tragic, terrible, but that's not the end of the story. It's still a picture of the magnificent love of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you use your word today. Lord, I do pray that from a heart of love and concern for people. Use it to glorify yourself, to accomplish your will. For those who may not be saved, Father, may they understand at least a little bit, grasp the sinfulness of their heart, the condemnation that they are under, but then to fall on the mercy of God and embrace the love of God that sent Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and believe in Him, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, if there are some who need to be saved today, would you draw them according to your will? I pray for God's people. Lord, that we would be honest in our own hearts with ourselves and with you. In Jesus' name, amen.